Hi, thanks for listening. In 20 seconds or less, I wanted to ask if you would consider supporting the show with a one-time donation of $1 to $3. The funds go to subscription fees, equipment upkeep, and a general sense of well-being. Links in the show notes. And again, thanks for listening. Okay, on with the show. Smokescreen. Jenny listened to the footsteps above her, waiting for them to move beyond the kitchen and out the door. Her breathing, which threatened hyperventilation, caught in her throat when she heard the steps come to a stop. Her held breath matched pace with the long silence above her. The panel flew open and a man in a hazmat suit and gas mask stared down at her. She was about to flee, to take her chances with the men outside, wanting only to escape whatever fate they had in mind for her, when the man above her held out his hand. Shock and curiosity gave her pause, and she watched in fascination as the man removed his mask and stared at her with eyes more sympathetic than threatening. The words he spoke to her were the last she expected to hear, In a hushed whisper, he told her to wait, to flee to the trees beyond only when she could not bear the smoke and the flames another second. The man had pointed towards the ceiling, but later she understood he meant the sky. They won't be able to see you under the heat and the smoke. With that, and not another word after, he closed the panel over her. Only then did she hear his footsteps move across the floor and out. She held out for as long as she could, and when the roar of the flames above her obliterated all other sounds, with her breath coming in chest-rattling coughs, Jenny Harper pushed herself out of the trailer and ran for the trees. Everything she had was gone. She would go to the beaver dam and to Tugger. He would make her work for it, but he would give her what she needed. Leaving on a Jet Plane Francis Del Roney shoved his money across the counter and grabbed his ticket. Seat 32B to anywhere but here. He was nervous and sweaty and was trying to play it cool, hoping the attendant behind the counter wouldn't notice. Boarding wasn't scheduled for another 15 minutes. He wasn't feeling right, but chalked it up to stress. He saw a water fountain at the far end of the boarding area, and thought a cool drink might make him feel better. Making his way across the room, it felt like he was walking through the deep end of the pool. He reached for the button on the fountain, and his hands fumbled clumsily, activating the water on the third attempt. As he raised his head from the fountain, he heard a female voice call for the boarding of the physically challenged and the elderly. He shambled over to the tunnel with his ticket in hand, As he approached, he thought the attendant was going to give him trouble, but as she watched him, she only asked if he needed assistance in boarding. Francis shook his head, then stumble-walked through the tunnel toward the plane. He found his seat and slumped down into it, 
Minutes later, the rest of the passengers boarded, and the stewardess began her safety monologue. Francis leaned back in his seat and rested his head. He was so tired, his body felt like it was trapped in jello. A quick nap would do him good. When he woke up, he would be away from here, and they would never see him again. All flights cancelled. Patricia Neal had given the speech countless times, and she was used to nobody paying attention to her while she did it. What she wasn't used to were the passengers on the right side of the plane, all looking hurriedly out their windows and gasping at what they saw. Only seconds before, a dull thud was heard from somewhere outside the plane. Almost as one, the passengers on the left rose from their seats and leaned over to get a view. Patricia stopped in mid-sentence and watched the spectacle before her. She was about to go over to the nearest window herself and see what all the fuss was about when another stewardess leaned in and whispered in her ear. Patricia nodded and turned back to her passengers. Ladies and gentlemen, if I can have your attention, please. Flight 252 is being delayed temporarily. Ladies and gentlemen, please, if I can have your attention for just a moment. It concerns what you might now be seeing out of your windows. Sensing they might receive some sort of explanation, the passengers began to turn her way. Ladies and gentlemen, we are being asked to delay our flight this afternoon for just a little while. Military authorities are pursuing a suspect and have reason to believe he may have come to the airport, she said. Immediately, questions were fired at her from passengers who were anything but calmed by her words. A portly man, bulging at the seams of his too small suit, stood up. His pink-mottled face seemed to go red underneath his thinning comb-over as he launched into his interrogation. Does this have anything to do with the explosion we heard and the fires in the distance? Patricia spoke calmly and evenly over the public address system. We have received no information regarding explosions or fires. I am sure this is just routine, so if we could all relax, then I'm sure we will... She was interrupted by one of the passengers. His dark wavy hair and open-collar shirt with jeans gave the appearance he took things in stride. Only just now he wasn't. I'll tell you what ain't routine. That, he said, pointing out his window. Just that quickly, Patricia lost her audience as the passengers turned their attention back to the windows. They watched as outside the plane, the remaining employees and passengers waiting for the next flight were being escorted in lines to the back of waiting 18-wheelers. In the distance, black helicopters circled above the ground, the fire and smoke seeming to reach up to them. The portly man with the bad comb-over took it upon himself to speak for the other passengers. We demand to know what's going on here. If they are just looking for a fugitive, then why is the military rounded up everybody? We the people know our rights. They can't do that. Patricia looked around the plane for a saner voice, but nobody spoke. They all turned and stared at her as if she was going to give them an answer they would understand. Her eyes settled on the passenger in seat 32B. He appeared to be sleeping, undisturbed by the events happening around him. She counted it a small blessing that at least one of the passengers was calm, then took a breath and tried to think of something positive to say. Before she had a chance, the door of the plane was open. 
Patricia's last second of regular life ended as she turned and stared into the dark lenses of the respirator and a figure in a hazmat suit. He entered the plane, his rifle slung down by his side. In one hand was a file photo of Francis Del Roney. Others followed in behind him as he made his way down the aisle to the back of the plane. Within seconds, there were soldiers, all wearing the same suits and masks, stationed throughout the aircraft. None of the passengers spoke, transfixed as they were by the scene unfolding before them. The man with the comb-over rallied and tried to protest, but was shut down by another figure appearing at the front of the plane. Her protest ignored, Patricia was escorted off the plane by two soldiers stationed at the door. The man at the front picked up the abandoned microphone and addressed the plane. My name is Lieutenant Oliver James. When I give the word, you will be disembarked and taken to a holding facility until such time that it is deemed safe for you to be released. A wave of protest erupted from the passengers, but was met by only the stoic silence of the men in the hazmat suits. Those not moving on their own were pulled from their seats and shoved into the aisle. Bad comb-over guy found his voice and began a fresh tirade. Hey, I know my rights. You can't do this. All right, my congressman. Lieutenant James looked over at one of his men standing by seat 32B. The soldier gave a single nod to his lieutenant. Everything will be fine if you come with us peacefully, sir. You're safe, Lieutenant James said. The passengers were deplaned and marched into the terminal. An 18-wheeler pulled up beside the plane, and four more soldiers in hazmat suits and rifles jumped out. A fifth climbed out more slowly behind them and directed the passengers to the terminal. Inside the plane, it was empty, save for seat 32B and Lieutenant James. The lieutenant raised his rifle and aimed it at the head of the motionless Francis Del Roney. The lieutenant touched a button on his mask and gave the all clear. All secure! A moment later, the five from the 18-wheeler boarded the aircraft. The four in the lead marched down the aisle and took up position around Del Roney. The fifth started down the aisle, but stopped at Lieutenant James' words. Don't get in my line of sight, Dr. Krenner. He's all yours until he isn't. Understand? Dr. Krenner looked at the lieutenant, who kept his rifle trained on Del Roney's head, and nodded before going to seat 32B. It only took a minute, but Dr. Krenner knew. He is stage four. Stage five is death. After that, we don't have much time. Hurry, he said, then stepped out of the aisle, making room for the four to do their job. The four soldiers seized Francis Del Roney and carried him hurriedly off the plane and outside to the waiting truck.